0: This is Betatron Investing in Asia, a podcast for people who want to invest in Asia's future. We're talking about Asia outside of China, where 44% of the world's population lives. They are young, they're digital natives, and their buying power is increasing by the day. I'm your host, Arshad Chowdhury, a partner with Betatron Venture Group based in Hong Kong. Today, we're talking about property tech, AKA prop tech, in Asia. Asia is the world's largest real estate market. Investments into startups servicing the industry went from under a half a billion dollars in 2013 to over $7 billion in 2020. And by all accounts, we're still at the very early stages of tech adoption in the industry. Our guest today is Ariel Starkman, an active angel investor based in Hong Kong who has been working and investing in the industry for the past 13 years. We met through a shared portfolio company, and it's my pleasure to have Ariel on today. A note to listeners, there is a bit of background noise that we were unable to edit out, so apologies in advance for that. Ariel, thanks a lot for joining us today. Why don't you start off by giving us a little bit of insight into your background.
1: So I'm from Israel originally. I've been living in Hong Kong now for 13 years. I started my career in real estate. I did my MBA in Columbia Business School, always was very, very interested in real estate. I worked in real estate private equity and real estate structured finance. I've been involved in real estate as an investor. But in the last five years, I was really, really interested in innovation in real estate and how we merge the built environment with technological advances with our digital life. And I started basically exploring where is innovation in real estate. I very quickly then realized there's not much innovation, but things are moving, especially in the U.S. At the time, started to have some uh, specific VCs which were targeting tech. So I realized that the best way for me to be involved in that sector is by being an angel investor. So I started investing in early stage prop tech startups, primarily in Asia but I do have a couple that I invested outside of Asia with the idea that not only I can participate in this ecosystem, but also to see interesting technologies and interesting opportunities that can be incorporated in the built environment to take our industry, my industry into the next level, because I think there is so much to do and we're not doing enough. And especially in Asia, the ecosystem in my opinion is slightly behind what's happening in the U S but the last a year and a half, did give it a big boost. So at the moment, I run our family office, but specifically my focus is on real estate, hard assets, and more and more technology, specifically related to real estate.
0: Real estate is such a big space. Can you share your mental model of how you look at the industry, particularly in Asia?
1: I look at any type of facility management, property management tools, which can help manage the buildings because traditionally they're managed in a very archaic way with Excel or even not with Excel, with a pen and paper. But any technology that can make the process of managing what you have in the building much faster, more efficient, safe costs. I look at technologies in ESG, any type of environmental solutions that can help real estate owners to reach their stated goal. Of carbon neutrality. I also look at data platforms. By data platforms, any solution which can help owners or investors of real estate access asymmetric information much quicker. In the US, in Europe, real estate information, like basic stuff, um, how much someone paid for that particular property or how much people are renting, this is very transparent. In Asia, we still don't have that much transparency. Lastly, I would look at any type of interesting construction materials or construction solutions which
0: can be easily incorporated in the process. Let me pause you there for a moment. I imagine it cannot be easy to introduce new materials in construction. Is that the case? The issue with construction tech is that if you have an amazing material that you
1: created, but it is not up to the building code, which is decided by the government. Even if your product is the most amazing one, it will not help because the contractors and the developers will not use it. They need to approve their buildings fast. They need to have everything up to code. But if there are solutions that can be approved quickly or solutions that can help the construction industry be on time, on budget, I would look at
0: it. So why do you think it is that PropTech right now is having a moment in asia in the last say three or four months i've seen multiple prop tech initiatives happening in the region with competitions and pitch events is it just me or is it actually seeing an emergence or at least getting a lot of attention from investors today
1: you're absolutely right i've been tracking this for a number of years and since covid i see a massive change from a number of reasons covid did and is continuing to change the way we work, the way we live, the way we interact with our buildings. So it's a necessity. Second, I think the push for ESG, especially the E in ESG, if even two years ago, it was, yeah, nice to have maybe institutional investors or private equity funds backed by pension fund money, need to have it in a mission statement that local developers don't need to have it necessarily. Now everyone needs it. The reason why everyone needs it because it's on their minds of the corporate tenants, it's on the minds of the employees of those tenants which are demanding their workplaces to be in buildings which are healthier, which have a mission for carbon neutrality, etc. So this is all coming from the end consumer, basically from you and me interacting with buildings, which means that owners of real estate need to think really long and hard about the tech and environmental strategy. And for me, those two are related because a lot of those solutions are coming from tech.
0: By some estimates, another billion people are going to move into cities in Asia over the next decade. Cities are preparing and modernizing with a whole wave of smart cities initiatives. So help us understand if and how any of these initiatives translate into opportunities for prop tech startups. I
1: think there will be a lot of opportunities for connectivity and data. We have so much data in cities, but what do we do with this data? How do we uh, mine this data? And what information will be helpful for cities to become healthier, to become more efficient, Uh, to understand usage of public space, for example? What can we do in public space? How we can program public space so people enjoy their cities? I think the citizens themselves, the people who live in cities, they want to see buildings much healthier. They want to make sure that air is purified, that air is circulating properly. Touchless, everything, I think is going to be huge. Both individual buildings, but also just in a city context where you don't need to touch things necessarily, that everything is like more sterile, but everything is more efficient. I think that blockchain is a technology that will be widely used by cities. With blockchain, you can actually have your city footprint in digital format. You can have blockchain of each individual building, and that will help the management, the departments of buildings, of governments, and of cities to operate much smoother. You can have need title insurance on blockchain, and I think it will help the cities themselves manage that infrastructure in a much more efficient way. But this takes a much longer period of time because you're working with the municipalities, with the governments. It's a change of the way things were done for literally decades or even hundreds of years. And it's not easy.
0: Is it your experience in Asia that there are many companies and a lot of innovation happening in the space right now? And if there is, tell me a little bit about that. And if there's not, what do you think is missing?
1: I feel like on one hand, there is a lot of innovation, and this is why I look primarily at, at proper companies which are born and raised in Asia, because I think that those companies understand the market, the end users here much better than, for example, their US or Europe counterparts, which just want to come here and sell data. The real estate markets here, even country by country, are operating very differently. And it's very different from my experience in the US. When you look at countries like mainland China, they completely digital society. They're light years ahead of us in Hong Kong. You look at Singapore, a lot of interesting innovation. You look at Hong Kong, and, and recently, in the last two years, I'm meeting more and more really, really interesting tech companies across that spectrum that I just described. I think the challenge in Asia is that we don't have strong enough or connected enough ecosystem, both within our Narrow geographies of China, but also the cross connectivity between Asia, because Proptech is still in relative infancy.
0: And as somebody who invests in early stage companies in Asia, I assume you'd have to pick and choose which sectors, which cities which countries you want to focus on, how do you think about that? Which markets are you active in? Are there any countries that you avoid so far or maybe have less exposure to? How do you think about your ground game as an investor?
1: For now, I'm focusing on Hong Kong and Singapore. Right before COVID, I started looking at Israeli startups in the construction tech because there is so much going on. But even though I'm from there, I have not invested yet because I need to go and see the people. And spend a little bit more time in the ecosystem, talking to the startups, seeing the offices, understanding their clients, understanding their needs, etc. But overall, COVID aside, I tend to focus on Hong Kong and Singapore as my main markets, but I would look at mainland China. I would go where the opportunities. I would look at Korea and I would look at Southeast Asia, whether it's Indonesia or Philippines or even Vietnam. There is actually quite a lot of innovation coming out of its young population it is quite interesting from the demographic standpoint. I actually did invest in a company based in Philippines, but that was before COVID. And I went to see them. I knew what they're doing. I was very comfortable with the team.
0: That brings me to the next question, which is sourcing deals. How is it that you source deals in the space?
1: Yes, so I mentioned the ecosystem is still not as established. So it's all for now. It's really a personal relationships, those loose networks that I have, both with real estate owners. I sit in this interesting intersection between family office, real estate, and more and more technology. So through those loose networks, deals just come my way. Whether it's another friendly investor who is looking at a deal and showing me, or vice versa, that's a loose network basically of information. Second, because I've been in the real estate market. Quite a long time, I'm active in variety of real estate organizations. Companies come to me and say, oh, we heard you're an investor in this company. Let's have a chat. And I just, I mean, through this process, I learned that I love helping startups, even those that I might not invest in and say, well, look, this is not my ammo, but go talk to those three people because this is how the ecosystem is built. So this is primarily, I guess, two sources of Deal sourcing. I think that it's not easy in Asia because we don't have as deep pool of product companies yet. So everybody is looking at the same companies, literally. And either everybody, I feel like everybody is in, in, in that small ecosystem. Either they're backing one company and everybody is going in, or no one is going in. So it's kind of interesting. It's it's also like an interesting mentality here where brand name is probably more important. And if it's your very early stage startup, if you're raising capital, you need to have one investor, which is known in the market, not necessarily an institutional investor, but an investor that people know, like a VC, like a Betatron, right? Stamp of approval. When they go to other people and say, look, Betatron invested in me, immediately investors say, okay, I'm willing to listen. It can be a perfectly amazing company, but no one ever heard about them and they don't have that brand name, if you will, back in. And people will be like, yeah, you guys are interesting, but who else is it? Who else is in? I've seen it on the real estate side and in and, and Proptech side and VC side time and time again.
0: It makes a lot of sense. And that really does jive with my experience as well. That brings me to the next question, which is around your own personal investments. Are there any that you feel comfortable sharing? Any recent investments that you're excited about?
1: Well, putting a plug to an investment that you guys did as well, Uh, Real Inflow, a data provider for real estate, very interesting. For me, it's part of one of my verticals, but what they're doing is providing specific data in a very graphic and robust way, but they managed to work with a lot of the players, the traditional players in the real estate ecosystem, like the brokers who are usually very guarded with the information saying, look, you can have access to the system, but please give us your data. And the way they think about expansion, they think about how we provide this huge data platform of buildings in a particular market, I think is really, really interesting. Another reason why I thought it's really interesting, because from my conversations with the traditional real estate players, like a private equity fund, on one hand, a symmetry of information, of course, it's an edge, it's an arbitrage. But on the other hand, when you're doing your due diligence on buying a building, especially buying a building somewhere you're not physically present, given COVID, you're not traveling, you need all that information for due diligence very, very fast. And it is impossible to get it unless you have a centralized database. So I'm very excited about them. What they're doing can really help the real estate industry, both in just the usual day-to-day, we need data, where do we go? But also in terms of, how real estate investors, how real estate owners interact with data.
0: I really like the vision at Real Inflow because they have been able to get real time data around rents from a block down to the building, down to the floor, the unit. They've married that really ambitious plan to excellent execution. Because if you look at the platform, you can then look at actually buildings in Singapore, in Hong Kong, and do just that. Look at real-time rents. So I think that's amazing. In terms of exits, help me understand how you think about exits for the industry and for early-stage investors. What are they? Tell me how you think about that.
1: For now, I think that strategic acquisitions are probably the way to exit. And by strategic acquisition, it can be by either a larger player or by a global player or merging with a company which does similar things on whatever vertical we're talking about in Europe and the U.S. to create that global entity and then that's a path to IPO. I think that as more and more people are being part of the tech ecosystem and we have now a couple of specific prop tech funds that are being raised which are creating a lot of momentum. I think that down the road, maybe in three or five years, there will be many Proptech IPOs. But I think that for now, for the early stage that, you know, you guys are investing in myself, probably strategic acquisition.
0: And do you see any long-term impacts of COVID on commercial rents, on how many companies are actually renting offices and the future of offices?
1: Well, six months ago, The general thinking was, okay, we're never going back to the office. Office is dead. But when we look at Asia, when we look at Hong Kong, where you and I operate, people don't want to work at home. People are going back to the office the minute they can. Apartments are small. We're not set up for working at home. I have multiple kids, small kids. When they were at home as well, doing their online classes, there is no way I can work at home, right? I need my quiet space. So I think that actually offices will come back and already coming back in a big way in markets in asia where we have COVID under control if you will but i think that what we will see in terms of rents is that that competition between landlords on how do we attract tenants back how do we make sure our big mnc's our big corporate tenants stay in our building and that's that edge it's being the most environmentally friendly building having the best technology which makes everybody's life Easier, even if you don't know necessarily as a tenant or as an employee in that particular building. Right? It's providing really interesting services in the building, which make our life as a consumer of real estate much easier. So I think that the office market will come back and the competition will be on that edge. What do I provide to my tenants to stay? Besides the location, of course, in, in cities, in, in Asian cities. Location is really important, but it will be paired with the trend of, okay, I can give my employees time to work from home, but maybe they will and maybe they won't. And the reality is most people do want to come back to the office.
0: We are living through a very dramatic inflection point, I think, in terms of the, the natural environment. Do you, do you think about climate change and climate adaptation when you think about your investments? And if so, how might you factor it in? As
1: I move forward with my investing, I will be looking more at interesting construction materials or interesting technologies or retrofitting technology that can help the environmental, the, the carbon neutrality, it's exactly that. How we can reduce our carbon footprint in order to help at least stop, at least level, that increase in temperatures. So I think that for me that's a theme that is very much related to climate change, but as we go forward, I want to spend more time understanding what else can we do, what else can the built environment do, and then as a derivative from that, are there any technologies that can help? Are there any innovative materials that can help?
0: I think property tech will be a lifesaver when it comes to building materials and new construction methods in places that need it, like Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, places where we have super high density, not a lot of land, and people don't have a lot of money.
1: I think that you're absolutely right that there is so much to do, and it's not necessarily just the technology, the the software writing code. It's the, the, the hardware, the hardware of buildings as well is the materials is what we can what we can use and recycle from previous construction sites or how do we use wood more sustainably it's all part of the discussion
0: sure and with that i think we have to leave it there but thank you so much ariel it has been really wonderful to talk to you and i'm sure i will be seeing you on cap tables and we will be discussing many deals in the months and years ahead so we'll be in touch and thanks a lot for joining